Amen. If you believe that he's overcome, would you give him a praise this morning with your hands? I believe that the Lord put a word in my heart this morning uh, that he, it, what he kind of said was, is, I want my people to comprehend. And it's a very simple thought, and we say it with our mouths many times. And, but he says, I want you to capture that I'm your father. I'm your father. She wants us to know that he's in relationship with us. He's in relationship. And it's not just an association. It's a blood relationship. It's a blood relationship. And... What does that mean? What's it mean? Well, you can stop struggling to get in a relationship and realize that you're already in a relationship. He's your father. I know what your interpretation of father is and how the father, the word father plays out in your life, but we need to let what the scripture says about our heavenly father begin to play out in our lives. He's the one that loved us so much that he was willing to give his only begotten son. That's who you're in a relationship with today. And you need to, you know, realize that because he's your father, you are his children. Hallelujah. You're his children. And there's, there's nothing more close to parents than their children. And so you begin to figure that that's the same with a, with a God. Is you know, there's nothing closer to His heart than His children. Well, they just stop there and talk about that. He's your Father. He says, "I want you to know that I'm your heavenly Father." So all of a sudden, He opens up a domain of potential impossibilities and a a, a world that's His that he said, I want to bring into yours. See, when he said, pray that thy kingdom come, where does he want it? He wants it on earth. He says, he says, I want my world to come into your world. That's the Father's heart. Now, there's many dynamics of it, et cetera, you know what I mean? And, 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 and at times it may seem foreign, but that's his heart. That's his heart. He wants his rule. He wants the activity that is happening in his world to begin to happen in your world. I mean, it's just like, whoa. And there's all kinds of forces against it. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's not even, you know, uh, the oppositional forces. It's our lack of comprehension and understanding. And, and, and I bring that and I say that to you, not as you alone and me. I mean, he says, it was, tell me, I need to realize I'm your father. I'm your father. My life... I have a house that I was able to build before. Uh, you may be seated. I'm holding you too long. And I'm talking too long, but I've got to get this out. This, this idea, because this is what he put in my heart. I was able to build a house 
for my wife and I, and we were able to move into it, uh, you know, after we got married. But that would have not have been possible were it not for my father. What he put into it, the life that he invested, And now the, 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 the energy, the knowledge, you know what I mean? The going before me. I mean, you know what? I didn't even have to go to the bank. Because he went to the bank for me. I mean, type of a father. And the list can go on, I'm sure, in your life. And so he says this morning, I want you to know that I'm your heavenly father. You have relationship. So let's just, just take a moment and I'm going to pray. And I think there's a lot more to this than just saying the Lord's Prayer. I think it's coming to the realization of his presence in our lives. See, you can't get to the priority until you really comprehend the presence. Because that's what the Lord's Prayer is about. It's first about, about the presence of God, and then it goes to meets, finally gets to the priority of God. You will always struggle with the priority of God in your life. And it will it'll become less and less doing the priority of God when you begin to comprehend the presence, the presence of God. So, Father, we thank you this morning that, that you are the one that went ahead and initiated the relationship. And we have responded, Father, but we want to want to find our place and our peace God in, in that assurance and the realization that you really want to take the struggle out of the relationship life will have its struggles but you want to take the struggle out of the relationship and so we thank you this morning for a, a keener, fresher revelation illuminated in our hearts that you're our heavenly Father. We thank you for being our Father this morning. The Lord is good. You know, I was, the passage of Scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. You're familiar with that. You know, let us rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, <clears throat> what is it about the day that God wants you to rejoice in? What kind of eyes uh, you, you have today to, to see what he's made, you know, not just the sun, the moon, because he said that, that you know, uh, those are already set in order. You know, the seasons, they're going to happen. It's going to take place. And that shows us the faithfulness of God. Uh, but what, it, what, what did he create and this day is designed for you. Besides, you know, that which is designed for everybody. What specific, you know, might be for your day, this day. And uh, may God give us the eyes to be able to see it and... Uh, comprehend it and, and uh, go ahead and rejoice in it because uh, there's something about and something in the day that he's made. His eye is on the sparrow, so if his eye is on the sparrow, it must be on you. Now, he's the only one that's big enough to be able to do that with so many people in the world, but he does it and he can do it and he is doing it. We've been talking about calibrating our faith.
or recalibrate our faith, uh, depending on, you know, as we look at uh, our faith, how it's doing. See, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, it says, well, should examine our faith. Isn't it interesting? It says, examine your faith to see if you're in the faith. <laughs> it was a question that Jesus raised at the, right at the end of his earthly ministry, and he says, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? So he must have been looking for, you know, a particular kind of faith. Now, life operates in faith. To some degree, you know, we all operate in faith, but whether or not it's faith in God, because I think that, you know, what he's looking for is where is your faith and in whom is your faith? Where does your confidence rest, you know, in, in the target of your faith? Where is that, and how, how was that? How was that doing? And <clears throat> last week we, because this is kind of a series, we talked about crippled by failed expectations. Naaman almost missed his miracle. Because he had a pre-expectation of how God was going to give him his miracle. He believed that he was going to be healed. He had received enough uh, uh, encouragement, knowledge about God, a little maiden girl... It informed him about the God of the Israelites, what his history was. And so he went to Elisha anticipating to get healed. But when some of his expectations were not met, he walked away. And it was a servant alongside of him that, you know, reasoned with him and was able to get him to go back and he received his miracle. Crippled by an expectation, a, 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 a faith that all of a sudden, you know what I mean, was missing its mark. Peter, who had known this Jesus to be one of miracles, who would heal the sick and they would be lifted from their beds that they had been on for 38 years. But when the expectation that he had had in his life that somehow this Messiah was going to set up a kingdom then and he become crucified he had a difficult time holding faith Because it says that when a little maid asked him, you're one of them, he said, no, I'm not. The power of expectation, and if it fails, can be devastating. The crowd and the same people who had followed him and adored him, were the ones that cried, crucify him. Why? Because of failed expectations. 
They presumed that this Messiah was the one that was going to free them from Rome in the rule of Rome. <coughs> Predicated, of course, upon the fact of, which oftentimes it is, of all the other deliverers that they had seen come on the scene who basically had wrought physical deliverance. And so their expectation to be delivered from Rome failed because they didn't understand that the Messiah was coming to deliver them from sin and death. The mission was so much greater. The miracle was designed to be something, you know, more permanent rather than temporal. The trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth because it is involved in having something that's permanent and while the trial is temporary... Life can bring those moments to us, and sometimes our our faith needs to have a be recalibrated, reestablished. And it was in Peter's life, and it also was in Naaman's life. And the follow up, of course, that the church some two thousand years later. We're getting the message. Rome is not our oppressor. Oh, hallelujah, church. Listen. What you think is your oppressor is not your oppressor. And to not miss your miracle... You must not lock God into your recipe. Maybe maybe you've made some definite steps toward God. You've made some decisions in your life that, you know, that uh, what you felt God has been prodding you to do. You're moving forward in God because that's what we're supposed to do is move forward in God. We grow in grace and knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We increase in faith. We can go from no faith to great faith. And of course, there's this man in between. So we're always supposed to be in a progressive forward motion in our faith. A walk with the Lord. But maybe when you've made that decision to step forward in God, and all of a sudden, it's not uncommon, but you stir up a satanic backlash. You stir up a satanic backlash. How many times you made a decision for Jesus Christ and you're going to go ahead and, you know, put some legs to the convictions that you have and principles, you know what I mean, into, you know, uh, uh, the uh, uh, revelation and awareness and you want to draw closer to God and all of a sudden life just seems to fight against it on every corner and every way. There's a backlash of a statement of faith that you've made in your heart. And so faith is is challenged. Peter 
The master said, I've prayed for you. And what's at the heart and the center of what's going to take place in your life is your faith. He said, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Under attack. We don't want to get political this morning, you know what I mean? But let's face it, in America, true faith is under attack. And so, it says that we are to contend for the faith was once delivered to the saints of old. Now, we grow in Revelation, and as we grow in Revelation, we should grow in faith. But there is a purity, there is a, there is a divine connection and directedness that has been passed on from prior generations. How many are here are what you would call yourself first generation Christians or that might be the simplest? First generation Christian. All right. How many are second and third generation Christians? Okay. You got it from somebody, didn't you? Somebody passed it on. Somebody had it before you, just like Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, you know, he said, Timothy, I, I recognize a tremendous faith in you. I see it. But he says, I, I knew your, your grandmother. And I knew your mother. And your, the faith of all three of his look an awful lot alike. <laughs> faith is really supposed to look a lot like the faith of Jesus Christ. The originator of the faith for humankind. Look a lot like his. And so that's why I'm, you know, I'm looking and reaching and trying to discover and praying that God would help us to have the kind of faith that when he comes that he'll actually find it. He did not answer the question. He just asked the question. Will I find faith? Why is it so faithful or so important? Why? Because that's what is recognized. Well done, thou good and faith. Full. A fullness added to faith, but the fact of the matter is it's still the confidence and faith is something hoped for, the evidence of things based upon something. So, like I said, I began to say, everybody's have faith. You operate in some kind of faith. But he's saying, you know, are you operating in the God kind of faith? Is your faith really in in God. So we boil it down and, you know, we're not going to say, no, it's not. But could it use some recalibrating? So I want to talk this morning about faith life. What is faith supposed to accomplish in our lives? You see, many people believe in God, but he's not real enough to them to affect how they think and what they do. At the risk this morning, church, of, you know, almost sounding and coming across, you know, uh, not gentle, because I love to do that side better, but I, I really feel this is really important. They believe in God, but not enough to affect their life. They have faith that there is a God, but not enough to go ahead and regulate how they think. To determine the perspectives and interpret, you know, the information. Reading the wrong headlines 
not reading the extra print and just grabbing, you know, some favorite prints. For man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what is faith supposed to accomplish in our lives? And what does faith look like? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. It's a tremendous motivating factor. It sets the pace in our life. It determines the strength of the motors that run us. Faith, it says, is a vital tenet. A vital tenet to life. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. And we love, of course, to run off and jump to love and magnify the fact that the greatest of these is love. Paul wants to know, wants us to know that if there's a comparison chart, that would be the case. But faith is a vital tendon to love. Faith motivates our mind. It gives us assurance of God's power and will, you know, and how to act in our lives. Faith. It's so powerful, you know, that it's the one thing that pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. It connects us and wells us to God, faith does. It not only puts God into our life, but it gives him our lives. Hallelujah. It doesn't just put him in our lives, it causes us to give him our lives. This power of faith, it holds us steady, keeps us safe in the storms of life. It such a life giver that, you know, that those that have faith when death faces them or when they're facing death they're able to go ahead and walk through that valley knowing that on the other side of the valley there's a brand new kind of life on which on this side all we've done is tasted of it. He says the best, the best moment in your life, the greatest hour that you've ever had, the most intimate presence of the Lord that you've been in, the greatest victory that you've ever experienced, he said, is, is just a taste of the world that you're going to. That's what faith can do. And the power of it. It works in the now, the here and now, and it prepares us for the here and the after. 
What does a faith life look like? A faith life sees a need, hears a cry, and builds what is needed. Not just simply what is popular, but what is needed. It's James that said this. He said, if you see your brother who has need, and you just dismiss it, how is that real? It sees a need and it addresses it because it believes in the needs supplier, the, the, the need worker. Don't have the right word there for it. Noah saw a need and began to build an ark. Bible says, and he built it the saving of his whole household. Was there other people that could have been in that ark? Probably. Because, see, he didn't just build an ark, he preached. Why would you preach if you were not trying to get people to change their mind into belief? So faith is, sees a need and it hears a cry. Faith is willing to sacrifice your personal dream in order to fulfill God's dream. We are overweighted with getting our personal dreams fulfilled. And God says, I'll take care of your personal dream if you will take care of my dream. Here's Abraham. He's a married man. He at this point does not have any children, but he's got... You know, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and community and friends. He's settled in. When you settle in and everything seems to be in order, you know, you're not only, you know, dreaming, you're living your dream. All of a sudden, God knocks on his door and begins to inform Abraham about his dream. He says, I've got a dream. I've got a dream of a nation. Well, first of all, be a family. I've got a dream of a nation. And within the framework of that dream and nations, he said, I've got a mission. I want to reveal Jehovah God to the world. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to know, basically, he's saying that you're a special people, you're a chosen people, but along with being a special and chosen people, you've got a divine mission. The world needs to know about the God that created the heavens and earth. And so here's Abraham having to leave his homeland, his family, his dream to go ahead and be part of fulfilling God's dream of a nation, of a family, and a world mission. Oh, hallelujah. A dream. The neat thing about faith is it's not supposed to be. It is, but it's not supposed to be affected by the present reality, but is to be motivated by the future promises.
Let's not just relegate faith to a gift that we can use when in reality it's the very catalyst that turns God's ideas into dreams come true. Amen? It's not a commodity that simply serves ourselves. If that's what it is, we've missed the heart of faith. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all else will be added unto you. Would I be come across too hard this morning if I made a suggestion that I don't think we should just be weekend warriors. We should not just be weak in faith people. We need to be lights in all the dark places. You know what? Darkness is not comfortable. It isn't. That's what he wants. And the recalibration of our faith is not making it so much about ourselves, but about him. Not so much about our dream, but his dream. Knowing that he has promised that if we'll attend to his dream, he will give us our dream. Oh, yes. How do we recalibrate our faith? Because time is running out, and I've got only one more Sunday before I have to take a month off, but faith will still be here. Faith will still be here. Because I'm not the author of it. And I'm not the finisher of it. Jesus Christ is. But yet he has made and see to it that faith has to have nourishment. Faith is like a muscle. If it's not exercised, you know, it doesn't get stronger. It's not, if it's not and acting, you know, in the role of true God faith? How do we recalibrate our faith? I think, number one, that we need to get back to the main plot in the main character. Jesus is the main character and not us. The main message and the main mission of heaven is that faith is a gift from God that enables us to accomplish his mission and not just purely fulfill our mission. What is that? Salvation for all and eternal hope for all. Jesus. Jesus. He's the main plot. He's the main character. We need to love like Jesus loved. And I would not, you know, begin to purport to you that I have reached that
the message of our lives, the time that you spend, the resources that you give, the energy, you know, that you demonstrate really is shows the how much faith you have in Christ Jesus. It's not just about my not just about my salvation. It's about the world's salvation. And using our faith to do the kingdom work. And not just our faith for our agenda and for our cause. So we recalibrate our faith by making Jesus number one. The main character. Recalibrating our faith by getting the right vision. This good book is still the original manual. It contains the original vision. It is still the only book by which you'll be able to navigate, you know, life in all its variablenesses and no matter which culture you are in. This one. The good book. The Bible. The kind of faith that advances the kingdom and not self-preservation. What was Jesus' vision? He said, I want you to find disciples. I want you to teach disciples. I want you to enable disciples. And I want you to go ahead and reach more disciples. Be disciplers. Be disciple people. Now, you and I... Well, I shouldn't say I because I did, but he may not be, has not called you to leave your nets. He called the disciples and said, I want you to leave your nets. I want you to come and follow me. They had a specific purpose by which that necessitated to leave their nets. But he doesn't call everybody to leave their nets. He calls them to be fishers of men right in the waters that they've been used to. You don't have to change your occupation. You don't have to change your community. You don't have to change families. You don't have to leave. No. But you got to go ahead and make disciples. And you make disciples first by telling them about the great disciple, Jesus Christ. Who came into the world to save Sinners. There's a lot said about being politically correct, but you know that it's almost, you know, incorrect in Christianity now to say sin and sinners. You're judging me? No. 
God. I mean, you, you can't even get to be a disciple till you realize that you're a sinner. And then, of course, they do just like Jesus, they did to Jesus. Pray tell me, who are you? I know who your father is. I know who your mother is. I know what your background is. I know you don't have the education that, you know, gives you the political correctness to go ahead and make statements like that. Who are you? You know, it's good to know who sent you. Recalibrate our vision for the future. Recalibrate our faith. After focus on our values. I'll ask my musicians to come. Our values. See, our values, they're the arrows that keep us moving toward God's purpose for our lives. Our values. What we value. Jesus said, don't, don't lay up treasures. Don't let the values be connected to those temporal things and those, those earthly things. There's a lot of disappointment, he says, that comes with that. They get rusted and decayed. They lose their value. What did this stock market lost? 600 points. I mean, I understand. I don't know the stock market. That's a lot of loss. Well, not talking about not saving but where are your values he says place your values in spiritual things see the flesh is naturally attracted to the things of this world but Jesus encourages us to invest our lives in things that are going to last long after we've finished the race Now, I believe, and I'm not attacking your faith. I'm asking us if, is it within the perimeter that we can recalibrate our faith? I, you know, I'm getting pretty close to retirement. And so, you know, I was talking to God about retirement. You, you've heard me talk a little bit about it, you know, about retirement. Boy, there's something about when you just start focusing on retirement, you just start to, you know, Live for yourself, and you get in neutral. There's nothing wrong with changing pace, and you know what I mean, and you know, uh, monitoring a few things and making a few adjustments and things. But the purpose, the purpose, and the visions. It's not age dependent. Hallelujah. Huh? It really isn't. It's just as I just kind of, you know, talked to him about it, you know what I mean? And he just started to do the opposite. He just started to stir me more. Let me give you a case of point here. Jim and Jean, they're retired, but you know what? They have never been on fire and more involved with the kingdom. You know what I mean? And God has given them, a, a, you know, a, a, a major job in, in the Department of Prayer. They don't just pray, but they give themselves to prayer. They give themselves to, you know what I mean? How do I improve my prayer life? You know, what does it mean to pray? And how can I, how can I be a better prayer warrior? Oh, Hallelujah. I don't have time because I want to, next week I'll tell you what God's vision is for the church and the church for the 21st century. It is powerful.
God's dream. And we as a church and as the people of God got to catch it so that it fires us. So that we go around, you know what I mean? You know, realizing that we're placed, we're positioned, you know, we're guaranteed the glory of the Lord in the midst of fallen temples. What does faith look like? Faith looks like VBS. It's coming. Is it in August? Faith looks like it's got some legs and feet, mouth and hands. Faith looks like it's got a smile and a positive outlook and confidence in a resurrected Christ. Faith looks like that God cares about your fields where he's placed you to be a witness of his goodness and his power and his love. Faith believes that God gives everybody who's willing to step up a pulpit from which to preach. Hallelujah. Faith does. Father, we thank you this morning that we believe. We're asking you to help our unbelief. We have faith, but we want stronger faith. We want vision, but we want a Holy Spirit calibrated vision. We want values, and values, Lord, that bring the honor, the insight of Jesus Christ into a situation. Help us not to be discouraged by backlashes, no matter where they come from. So when we finish the race and the course, we know that we're still on target at the end of it all. And we bless the people. We bless their faith and we pray for their faith that it will not fail, but it will increase. In Jesus' name.